Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This show is sponsored by Den 10 Insurance Services, helping businesses get the right insurance for all their insurance needs. Visit den10.io to get a quote. D-E-N-T-E-N dot I-O. And remember, when you buy an insurance policy from Denton, you're giving back on a global scale. Hello, all my entrepreneurs and business leaders, and welcome to the Michael Esposito Show, where I interview titans of industry in order to inform, educate, and inspire you to be great. My guest today was an unemployed school teacher in 2010 when he decided to start a business. He built a multi-million dollar business that was featured in Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. They also were recognized by Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the top entrepreneurial companies in the country. That all sounds great, but he was trapped. He was trapped as the owner-operator, so he decided to figure a way out without selling the company, a method he now teaches entrepreneurs all over the world called Exit Without Exiting. He shows people like you how to retain ownership, but get all your time back. He started this coaching program and mastermind to exclusively serve entrepreneurs who are tired of the lack of freedom as business owners. Please welcome the founder of TRJD Enterprises, the real Jason Duncan, but also known as JD. Welcome. What's up there, Michael? Hey, good to see you, man. You too, man. This is this is really cool. Um, just off air, we were just catching up on how we met, which I think is, is a really cool, um, interesting way for us to meet. And I'm sure we're going to talk uh, more about the 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 different things that you do in terms of the podcasting world. But um, we were just talking about how we were both 10X stages judges. Uh, we had the opportunity to judge the great American speak off on 10X stages, and that was really cool. And I really loved that little judge room that we were in. Like we were in this like little Zoom room together. It turned into this like big networking um, arena, apparent, uh, you know, and, and I got your message which said, podcast swap question mark and I was like hell yeah this is awesome so you you taught me something without me even knowing you because as soon as you sent me that message I was like oh okay and then I, I looked you up and I was just like man this guy knows what he's doing and if he's throwing out podcast swaps to people in this room well then I need to be doing the same thing and so I started doing the same thing like right after you sent me that message and so I'm really really thrilled to have you on and learn more about some of the techniques and strategies that you teach. Yeah, podcasting is such a great, great media because, uh, you know, we we get to meet really cool people that otherwise we probably would never sit down and talk to, not because we wouldn't want to, it's mm -hmm. just we don't have the opportunity to. And so I've been uh, podcasting now for a couple of years. And and um, I tell you, it's, it's, it's introduced me to some 
cool people that I, I really am glad that they're in my network. Yeah. You know, while we're on the topic of podcasting and, and we're not going to stay here very long because I really want to get into your businesses and your background. Um, but I think, you know, so many people ask me about podcasting and, you know, I'm, I'm going into year three of my journey as a podcaster. Uh, I'm interested in, in like, what was your journey like in the beginning of podcasting? What, how did you start? Um, what did it look like in the beginning? So I have wanted to do a podcast for, for years. Uh, I'm a big podcast. I'm not, a, I'm not as big as I used to be. I used to be in my car a lot when I was working yeah. full time at the company that I started. I was in the car a lot, driving to different locations, meeting with customers, meeting with vendors. And so when I was in the car, it was always podcasts or I was listening to a book on Blinkist, mm -hmm. which Blinkist is that other, I don't know if you do. Are you oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love Blinkist. Yeah, so so they're, they're, they're changing the app. By the way, if anybody from Blinkist is looking, listening to this, quit screwing it up, man. Leave it alone. You had a good thing going and you're adding too much crap. Nobody wants the other crap that you're adding. Just leave it alone. Anyway, I, I uh, hope I somebody listen. from Blinkist is listening. That'd be pretty yeah, cool. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know those people because all the same voice actors and I'm like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd like to meet this lady. I'd like to meet this guy. You know, but anyway, uh, so I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I wanted to do a podcast, but I had no idea what I would talk about. I, I, I just knew that I wanted to do it. it. It kind of probably scratches the itch of when I was a senior in high school. One of the things I thought I would do as an adult would be a, a DJ, you know, a radio DJ, mm -hmm. but never, never obviously did that. But but in on Christmas of 2019, my wife bought me this microphone that I'm talking into right now, this Blue Yeti. Mm. And uh, she got this for me for Christmas. And she said, you've been talking about doing a podcast for all these years. You need to go do it. Well, so my lovely wife encouraged me. So in December of 2020, a full year later, I record my first episode of The Root of All Success. Uh, and I was doing live and in-person episodes. So I wasn't even using this Blue Yeti. I was using... You know, real, you know, I guess say real mics, but like handhelds and lapel mics and mm -hmm. cameras and stuff. But that's how I got started. And then my first episode didn't didn't actually publish until I think April of 21. And now I'm about 140 or so episodes in and uh, I love it. It's it's fantastic. It's it's a very interesting. Uh, I have a similar journey in that it, it it took a while after I bought the equipment to actually start. Um, you know, it's like funny. You said your wife bought you the blue yeti and you didn't start till a year later and and that's so often the thing and i'm interested in what what held you back from starting immediately i think just i, I think i think just not knowing what i would talk about and mm. not having a not having a coach in my corner pushing me to do it so mm. i hired a coach in um in 2020 specifically for well and this kind of this actually plays into my story of how mm. i exited the company but I, I exited daily operations in January of 2020 on purpose to 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 do the thing I now refer to as exit without exiting. And um, of course, COVID interrupted that significantly. It changed the dynamic of everything we were doing. We were doing most of our work in hospitals across the country. So as you as you can imagine. So as we as we were dealing with all that, I hired a coach. I said, I, I'm going through like an identity crisis. I. I used to introduce myself as the president and CEO of Energy Lighting Services. Now that's not who I am. I still own the company, but that, I'm not functioning in that role. But I'm trying to keep it alive because COVID's trying to kill the gut. Well, not COVID. The government's trying to kill my business. Um, you know, the, the, all this crap's going on behind the scenes. So I hired a coach to help me figure that out. And one of the things he said is, "You need to get on. You need to get behind a mic. You need to start doing a podcast. You need to start mm -hmm. doing a podcast." And so, if it weren't for his and in, uh, insistence that I do it, I don't know that I would have done it 
when I did it. I think I would have eventually done it. Mm. But, uh, you know, the the name of the show, The Root of All Success, was something that I came up with. And I took it back to him. I said, what do you think about this? He goes, well, that's really good. You should talk about We I knew I was going to talk about success, but I didn't really know how. Mm. And uh, that's that's how I got started. And that's why I didn't start earlier. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what holds so many of us back is not really the unknown is like so scary, the unknown. And I think the other thing that you mentioned there, and I think your mastermind groups probably speak to this is the encouragement of others. Um, when we're kind of like in our own silo, it's easy to get in our own minds and go down that rabbit hole of, ah, what am I going to talk about? I don't have anything to say. And then all of a sudden you hire a coach who's, and, and I'm going to ask about your wife in a second, but you hire a coach who's like, yeah, you got this to say and you have that to say because you're being, you're being um, real with them. You're telling them everything and they're like, this is important to get out. So it's, it's really great. I love that. And like I said, we'll talk more about your masterminds, but I'm also interested in your wife's mindset. Um, this is really cool. Like to hear your wife say, I'm buying you a Christmas present because you've been talking about this and I want to get that to you. So tell us a little bit about your relationship. Well, my wife never listens to podcasts that I'm on or my own podcast, but in the event that she does, Christy, I love you. I love you so much. You're my best friend. You're awesome. So when she bought that mic for me, uh, she, she, she talks negatively about her gift giving skills. She's like, I don't give you good gifts. And, but I can point to several things like this microphone that was thoughtful. I didn't ask for it. You know, I mean, let's be real entrepreneurs. If you're succeeding, what do you, you can buy what you want when you want it. You're not, you don't really need to tell people, Hey, I want this thing. Please mm. buy that for me. Mm. So for her to go out and get this mic, uh, just because she had heard me talk about it, that was, that was very, it was probably one of the most touching gifts that she's given me. Mm. And she's not an entrepreneur, has no interest in entrepreneurship. She manages our short-term rentals and she's, uh, it, it's all she can do to just do that. She's like, this is killing me, <laughs> but she, but she does a good job at it. Um, she just, my birthday was just recently and she bought me this really cool leather, like riding shirt. It's not like, not quite a jacket, not really a shirt kind of in between. And, uh, and so she's really good at p picking out some great gifts and she says she's not a good gift giver, but, but those two gifts are, are things that I know she's, she put thought into and I love it. Mm, so she's very thoughtful. That's really cool to hear. Um, all right. So now we're going to start Taking a step back here, and and by the way, just just so you know, I don't think you're alone in that. My my wife doesn't listen or watch any of the stuff I do, <laughs> and I'm on, I'm on. I do an IG live every single morning. Uh, the girls actually end up in it sometimes, and um, and, and I do I do that. I do I do the podcast. I do YouTube video. I do them all. I'm on stage. I'm doing a bunch of things, and uh, my wife is just like. I'm I'm just happy you're home on the couch with me, honey. I I don't care about the other stuff. I'm like, darn! I thought I was trying to impress you. <laughs> yeah, our, our wives are the last people to know that we actually have money and we're successful. <laughs> Uh, so, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about money. So you are a school teacher, which again, you share in common with my wife. My wife is a school teacher. Um, you, so kudos to our educators out there. It's a tough job and, and it's not for everyone. And, um, you were a school teacher and, uh, and then you ended up unemployed. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about being a school teacher? Maybe what you taught a little bit about that. And before we get into the start of this multi-million dollar business that you had created. So I, I, um, I had been, I started my career in pastoral ministry. So I started in ministry, did that for about 13 years. And I was also selling health and life insurance on the side just to supplement my income. 
And, uh, I, and in 2006, I decided that I'd had enough of doing the ministry thing. I wanted to go somewhere where I thought I could make a real difference, a big, a big impact. Mm. And so for me, I made the decision to go back to school, get my master's in education and, uh, and teach. So I got a job teaching eighth grade American history. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Mm. And I was very good at it. My students were performing better than every other student in the county. Uh, In my subject matter, I was doing I was fantastic. I was I was a popular teacher. The kids liked me. The parents liked me. The administration liked me. Things had no issues whatsoever. Everything was going really, really well. Then the Great Recession kind of trickles into school systems and uh, my school system, like all others, had to make cuts, big budget cuts because tax revenue was down. Everything was down. Property tax revenues were down. And uh, I was the last guy hired in that building, the last last in, first out. I didn't have tenure. Even though I was really good, they had to make the decision based on tenure. And and uh, I was the low totem pole. Mm-hmm. I was the low guy on the totem pole. And that was a really, really, really tough day. That was, um, it was 12... 12, 13 years ago. And that was a bad day. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. And ultimately, as the story turns out, I made the decision to to kind of launch an entrepreneurship. I thought, well, if I can't get a job teaching, uh, I don't want to work for the man. I don't want to go work for anybody else. I want to I figure this out on my own. And I did. And it turned out really well. <laughs> so, And that's why we're here today. So what did you end up doing? So the, the 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 longer version of that story is this i had a friend of mine um in 2010 he came to me and, and his name was bill and he said hey I, i've got this idea to build a hydrogen generator for cars like an on-demand hydrogen generator for cars and i want to start a business and i want you to help me and i'm like dude i am an eighth grade american history teacher former pastor like i have i, I know zero about hydrogen i don't have and i'm not really an entrepreneur don't want to start a business i don't know anything about this he goes man you're good with people you're good with sales like we need we could do this this would be great so reluctantly we started this company together and, and it was i had no intention of quitting teaching not not whatsoever i was doing this on the, at nights and weekends and you know, I, we and we built this hydrogen generator in my shed in the backyard um, with equipment. I borrowed five thousand dollars from somebody, and we started buying equipment and bought the materials, and we made it. and And it worked. It, it was it was really cool to watch this work. I got my son's go kart to run on hydrogen that we wow. created out of you know out of thin air um, or captured out of thin air. I guess we don't really create it. God's in charge of creating. But um, but anyway, that that was the, how it got started. Well, fast forward a year, that's when my principal came to me and said, hey, you're not going to be teaching her next year. I can't renew your contract. That's what I already had the company, the hydrogen hydrogen thing. We couldn't get it to work. It wasn't viable enough to take mainstream. And I wasn't interested in pursuing it. So what I told Bill was like, dude. I'm going to take the company because I had financed everything. I'd set it all up. The LLC, I was the majority owner of the company. I said, why don't you just take everything on the hydrogen side and ethanol? We've been working on some stuff. You just take that. I'm going to take the company. I'm going to do LED lighting. I'm going to change it from energy creation to energy efficiency. Mm. And he's like, well, okay. And and we did. We split. And it was fine. There was no, no animosity whatsoever. And I gave myself until August, uh, August the 15th to get a contract to make some money. Because that was the last day I was going to get paid <laughs> from the state of Tennessee as a teacher. That was the last paycheck I was going to get. And so I made the decision that spring I was going to try this thing with LED lighting. 
And on August the 12th, I got the contract that's that saved the business, saved my life, you know, turned everything around just before the deadline. Mm. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, you're a school teacher and uh, so you're not really an entrepreneur, you're not really an entrepreneur quite yet to say, right? I think we always, yeah. we're always that somewhere buried in our mind somewhere, right? Um, so you're not an entrepreneur, you're a school teacher, you have this side hustle going on, but you had enough savvy um, to give yourself this deadline, um, this accountability. And I'm interested in understanding is to, was that just instinctual of like, hey, look, you know, August 15th is the last paycheck. I got to make money by then. Or was there also something baked in from books or podcasts that you had listened to prior that kind of taught you that by, by setting that target, it would be something that you could actually accomplish? I think it was just, uh, just um, the desperation. You mm-hmm. I had to do something. And what's, what's, what's true about that summer that summer of 2011, when all this was going on, I was still interviewing for corporate positions. I, I was still holding out hope that I could get a teaching job somewhere, or, or at the very least, I could go work in the corporate world and get a big fat salary and I'd be fine. But I, but in the back of my mind, other than teaching, now if somebody had offered me a teaching job, this story would have changed dramatically. But I had a corporation, a, a, a pretty large national corporation, was very interested in bringing me on, but I kept delaying all the meetings. It was a very long interview process. So every time they'd call and say, Hey, Mr. Duncan, we need you to come in for another round of interviews with our, our VPs. I would say, you know, I can't come this week. I'm traveling. Could we, could we schedule it for next week? And they were like, yeah, no problem. And I kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And I, I would, I would just, I was playing hard to get, uh, but on purpose, cause I was holding out hope that the business would work. But then I was thinking, well, if the business doesn't work, at least I got this opportunity well, there was a day that the the VP who was in charge of the hiring process called me and he goes, Jason, he goes, um, and he told me his name. He said, um, we've been trying to get you back in here and you keep delaying it, which tells me you're not really interested in the position. So we're withdrawing our interests. Mm. And I was like relieved. <laughs> I was like, okay. Whew. You know, so, so that, so that was a way. And now the only thing I had was I had to make this business work or I was going to have to be a barista. Like I, it was, like I, it was something I had to make this thing work and, and it worked. Wow. And so you just said too, that if, if you had gotten a teaching position, you would have taken that. So teaching is a passion of yours. Uh, where did this passion derive from? Well, when I was a kid, um, I wanted to be a, a car designer um, I drew cars my whole life. I'm a pretty good artist. I love cars. As a matter of fact, off camera behind me, there's probably 50 model cars and motorcycles. I mean, I just enjoy cars, everything cars. And and, and I just always liked cars and I, I love drawing cars and, and I wanted to be a car designer and I got accepted to two art colleges. That's where I was heading. But also, I'm a, uh, I follow Jesus my whole life. My family followers of Jesus, and, I, and it's been part of who I am. My faith is a very big part of who I am. And, and and I attended church camp most summers as a kid. Well, that last summer between junior and senior year of high school, I'd already been accepted to art colleges, and my path was already kind of – I knew where I was heading. I had this experience at summer camp just as a counselor – laying out on the in the grass one night with all the other counselors after we put the kids to bed we're all talking laughing joking talking about the meaning of life as deeply as a 17 year old kid could and i just remember having this sense this feeling that this is what i want to experience in life this is what i want 
I want to make an impact. I want to be able to teach. And and I don't know that art, art, I articulated it like that, but I, I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. And so I went home that summer and told my parents, I said, I'm not going to go to art college. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go enroll in uh, this local Christian university called Lipscomb University here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm going to get a degree in youth ministry. And I'm going to youth ministry and, and summer camps when I'm going to be, I'm going to do that for my whole life. So that's where it kind of started. And then for the next 13 years, um, that's what I did. I was youth minister for about seven of those years. And then I started preaching, you know, the, as people would know, the senior pastor, the guy up front talking, the guy was, so, so I've got, I've got 13 years of experience of, of teaching and, and, and really thinking I was making an impact. And in many, many ways I did, but when it, I, you know, like I said, at the beginning of our story in 2006, I just got fed up with the machine all the machinations around behind it. And it just didn't seem to match what I saw. I wanted as a kid and as a teenager and what I saw scripture teaching about what the disciples were supposed to do after Jesus left. And it's like, I got to go somewhere where I can make a difference. So the teaching has kind of always been who I am and I'm very good at it. Mm -hmm. And I don't make any, I don't make any amends. I'm not like it is I'm good. My gifts are teaching and leadership and my mission and my vision in life is to use those gifts to help other people get the results they want out of life and and I will continue to do that until the day I die. Mm, yeah, I I the the feeling of creating an impact really resonates with me. It's it's kind of it's what drives me. I just had a big uh, a meeting yesterday and a, and a conversation centered around that about we're so my so it's funny when you said that life and health insurance because I was like oh that's what we are we're an ins- I'm Denton is an insurance company and that's what we we sell that other than that we don't sell the life I mean not the the health we sell the life um so I'm I'm recruiting I have these big recruiting efforts going out and I had a meeting yesterday and that's the conversation that I was having they said well wh- who are you looking for what kind of experience and I said honestly. I don't even care about their experience. I don't care where their what their background is, what their knowledge is. I don't care about any of that. What I want is an individual who wants to create an impact. I want somebody who gets out of bed and no matter what they're doing, whether it's you know you know cleaning toilets or selling insurance, um, they believe that what they're doing is creating an impact in the world in a positive way. And so that really resonates with me. And I think there's just so many ways to do it. And I love that you use teaching as one of the ways. And, and you know, for me, like I said, my wife's an educator. My mother was an educator. Um, and, you know, so for it's, it's been part of my life. And I, I feel like um, this podcast uh, that I put out and a lot of the um, the work that I do on social media and everything is to try to teach people on how to become inspired and how to find their their passion. So that really resonates with me, and I'm I'm really happy to hear that that's that's what got you into teaching. I'm now interested in how you created this successful multi million dollar business of LED lightings and how you got that first contract because um, momentum is what drives a business to become a multi million dollar company. But the first one is the hardest, and then everything else starts falling into place. So tell us a little bit about that first deal that you ended up landing. Well, we, uh, so it's, it's really a kind of a cool story. The, the, I brought a partner in early on when I, when I made the decision, when Bill and I separated and I took this to LED, I knew, I knew enough to know that I didn't know enough <laughs> and I needed to bring somebody in to, to help mentor me. And so I went to a guy that I knew, brought him in, uh, as a minority partner and mainly just because I wanted mentorship. Now, caveat to that. As a business coach who's very experienced now, work with entrepreneurs all over the world, that is a dumb idea 
That is a dumb idea to bring a bring a mentor as a business partner. Now you might need a business partner for some reason specific and strategic, and you do need a mentor. Hundred percent, you got to have that. But you shouldn't just get a mentor. You shouldn't have a business partner just for mentorship. That's a dumb idea, as my story will later illustrate. But he brought he came in as a, a business partner, minority business partner, and we worked really well together. Uh, but he wasn't, he didn't work in the business at all. He wasn't, he was more just the mentor on the back end. Um, and, uh, but he had connections and he knew some people I didn't know. And he knew some people at this particular hospital and he said, Hey, well, I'll set up a lunch. And so he set up a lunch and that's how we got introduced. And then, and then we get into the pitch, the pitch of a lifetime on, on August 12th, three days before my deadline. So we're sitting at this table, we're in the conference room and the third floor medical office building. And there's a big, long conference table, probably 20 feet long, and it's maybe five, five and a half, six feet wide. And I'm sitting at the at not on the end end, but on the on the long side, uh, but on the end of the table and the and the VP of the hospital is on the other side, you know, five and a half feet away from me. And then next to him is the engineer. Next to him is the CFO. And then my business partner sitting to the left of me. And I've got a white macbook like the 11 inch those little bitty 11 inch white macbooks and it's sitting kind of in the center of the table and i don't have it hooked up to a screen i don't have it hooked up to a clicker i'm going i'm like reaching across the table and clicking the cfo so far away he can't see anything he doesn't know what we're (laughs) so so we're going through this and about two-thirds of the way through my presentation the vp of the hospital stops me and he says can i ask you a question i said sure he said has anybody ever told you no and I said, no, they haven't. Now, I didn't tell him he was the first guy I'd ever asked, but he didn't ask that question. He asked, has anybody told you no? And I no, said, no, they haven't. Not yet. And then he and then he said to me, he goes, well, why wouldn't I do this? And, and to kind of put this in perspective for everybody is that LED lighting, which is pretty common now, back then it wasn't as common, but LED lighting can save 90% of your lighting electrical bills, a 90%, which is about a third, a quarter to a third of an overall electric bill in a hospital. So I could save them a quarter of a million dollars a year just by putting lights in, and it didn't cost them that much to do it. Like you could pay for the project out of the savings. So he said, why wouldn't I do this? And I said, I don't know. Why wouldn't you do this? And they looked down at the CFO. Now, the CFO and my business partner knew each other. That was kind of the original connection. And he looked at the guy and he said, do you trust these guys? Because <laughs> I guess he had the sense that he didn't, that we might not have known everything that mm-hmm. we said we knew. And uh, and the guy said, yeah, I trust them. And then, he, then and so the VP turns and he looks back at me. And then he looks at the CFO and he says, write the man a check. Wow. I didn't even finish the presentation. Like, yeah, that's how the thing finished. And that check that day was $18,000, which is not a lot of money, but it was over half of what I was making as a school teacher in Mm -hmm. one check. Um, And then the next check that I got, which was about six weeks later, was $636,000. Now, I'd never seen that much money in my life. I'd never held a check. And I've got a copy of it here in my office, but I've never I'd never seen that much money in my entire life. And that pitch changed everything. Now that project turned out to be over the course of the next three years, $2.3 million in revenue. And it led us to do other hospitals. And and then we became the largest hospital provider of LED retrofits in the country. And um, we ended up getting other huge contracts with, with international companies. But like you said, it, it, it takes one to prove the concept. If you can get one person to buy, the concept is proven and you can continue to get people to buy from you. 
Mm. I feel like when he said write to Manichek, that's like true Southern hospitality, hospitality right? It's yes. like- Write to Manichek. <laughs> you trust this guy? All right, write to Manichek. That's nice with, with a cup of tea to come with it. Um, that's incredible uh, how, how that kind of like played out. So you had to have like tremendous self-confidence to be able to to respond the way that you did. Um, just, just also a little for to help with a little bit of context. When you say that a couple of weeks later, that six hundred thousand dollar check came in, I'm assuming that was all part of the contract. Was how it worked. Like you had a down payment, and then that was just part of the payments. Yeah, I mean, we had to figure out just like everybody else. I mean, that I think the first the first round of contracts was a little over a million dollars. So it was mm-hmm. the biggest part of that two point three million dollars came all at once. And uh, so there was a the way we had structured the contract was that you had to put fifty percent of the contract upon signing the contract mm. and then 40% when we order part product. And then the last 10% uh, was going to be due at the end of the project. Mm-hmm. And we just came up with that. I don't know if that was normal, but now it is pretty standard in the industry. I don't know if we set that standard or I just stumbled upon it, but, but we got that 600 something thousand dollars was represented that first 50% of that contract. And, and, and I, and my, my vendor was so nervous that uh, and i was nervous to give my vendor that much money i was like we were both nervous we had to set up this escrow account at the bank we had to deposit an escrow and there were certain legal stuff about well when you release the lights we'll release the cash I and mean, it was like this thing in a dark alley where you hand off the suitcases at the same time it was the whole thing because we didn't know like they didn't know us we didn't know them now we ended up becoming that vendor's largest uh customer in the world started buying more lights from them than anybody uh, and and ultimately went into business with them. And that was a disaster, but, but we did go into business with them later, but yeah, you, you don't know what you don't know. You just do it. You, you, you have to have confidence in your ability. Hmm. And I know, I know people say, you know, fake it till you make it is, is, is not integrity. You shouldn't do that. No, I had to fake it till I make, it. I didn't know. Now I never lied. I never said anything that wasn't true, but but I was faking it. Like I faked that I knew exactly what I was talking about because here's what I knew. I knew that the vendor I was working with and the people in the back behind the scenes wouldn't have put me in a position to sell a million dollars worth of light bulbs. If in fact they weren't going to work, I trusted that. So when I got questions about, well, how's this going to work? I would just with confidence say, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's going to be all right. I remember one of the technicians at the hospital asked me the question, like, will these work on a 277 volt system and a 110 volt system? At the time, I had no idea what those words meant. I had no idea. And I just looked at him and said, yeah, it's going to be no problem. Now, did I lie to him? No. Did I know that that was true? Yeah, I had a really high assurance and confidence that it would work because my vendor knew who my customer was. Mm. So it wasn't like they were sending me with lights that they were hoping would work. They had been in business a long time. So you got to fake it till you make it. I don't think you lie. I think integrity is really, really important. But sometimes you just got to act like you're there before you get there. Mm, I, I I like how you kind of describe that fake it till you make it too, because I, I think that it's it's really the idea of what it, what does it mean. And I think sometimes it's some people attach the meaning of fake it till you make it as I got to lie. But what you're saying really is we're using the term fake it till you make it. But behind it is all honesty and truth. What you're really faking is the confidence 
that's really what you're faking is you're fake is faking the, the confidence because in, in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, I, I know it works, but you don't really know it works because you haven't really experienced it yet. So I think when we're thinking about fake it till you make it, I, I like that you say you still got it's, it's still about having integrity. And, and I really love that, that you're, you're touching on that. Um, so, you, so now you build this company um, because I really want to get into the, the exit strategy here and, and really into the masterminds and everything that you're doing today, because um, so ma- I see so many entrepreneurs and, and myself included, by the way, who were we start a company because we have this big dream and this big ambition and goal, but then we are kind of stuck behind a desk. Uh, and, and that was part of the conversation. I'm, I'm being real with you here. That was part of the conversation yesterday. Why recruitment is so important to me and my company right now is um, I'm, I'm an outgoing person who loves being out, who loves being on stage, who loves being in front of people. Yeah, I don't like being behind a computer. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, in how you can get me out. So that's why I want to recruit so we can start getting some, some salespeople in. But uh, I want to get into, so you build this multi-million dollar company. And when, when do you start feeling this uh, overwhelm, this trapped feeling, and why, right? Because you must be experiencing some great things happening in your life financially and being able to buy maybe your dream car and things of that nature. How does the trapped feeling start creeping in for you? Um, so there are so many layers of that, Michael. I, I um, peel away I, in, in twenty in twenty seventeen. Uh, well, well, let me back up. So my, my, the new business partner that I brought in as a mentor, um, in so many ways, that relationship provided lots of benefit for the business and for me I obviously or because because I he, he was a very smart guy knew a lot of people and knew some good things and was a good mentor and friend but in so many ways um he held me back mm. and 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 really robbed the business and me of greater uh, of greater growth and, and this is not this is not a character assassination it's not really about him but it was the nature of that mm-hmm. relationship I was reading this morning, and I don't have it in front of me, or I would read it to you. I was reading this morning in um, Outwitting the Devil, the Action Guide by Napoleon Hill. Yes, I'm, I'm I'm going through that with my son, and and today we're meeting and going over the last three chapters. And one of the one of the things in the very last was about the very last chapter in that book is about relationships, and it said that 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 every I can't remember how he he worded it. I wish I had I wish I had it in front of me. I would read it, but every negative thing that happens. Um, can usually be traced back to an improper dynamic in a relationship. And I'm, I'm screwing that up. I'm not, I'm not wording that right. But here's the thing. It wasn't him and it wasn't me, but the dynamic we had set early on in the business really set us mm-hmm. down the wrong path. And I'll, this is the illustration because your question is, how did I feel trapped? Is that early on in the business, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't know how to spell entrepreneur. I didn't know where to put the E's and U's. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I think everybody figures, figures out eventually the E before the U, but, uh, but, I, but I, I didn't know what a business coach was. So I didn't know that we needed one. But as I started to go out there and started to put myself out there, I'd go to these business breakfasts and I'd go to these events and I'd go to conferences and people started talking about, you know, a, a board of directors. People started talking about advi- board of advisors, started talking about business coaches and mentors. And I was like, well, okay, he's a mentor, but like, I, I, we don't have a business coach. We don't have somebody to coach us. And so I remember early on saying to him, hey, we should get a business coach. And he would like, nope, 
we're smarter than that. We're smart enough. They're not going to know as enough as us. And it was at the time I didn't see it as arrogance, but looking back, so holy crap, who do we, who do you think you are? Like, how do you, how do you think you don't know what you, it doesn't even make sense to me. It doesn't Mm. even compute now. Um, Bob Proctor is very famous for talking about that, that he, he was able to achieve what he achieved because of mentors in his life. And, and he said that there might have been people that have been successful without them. He said, but they're hard to find. He said, we need mentors in our life. And so for me, wanting a business coach was natural. And for years, he denied it. Now, he didn't have the power to deny it. I acquiesced. I was the business owner. He was a partner. I could have done it. But I acquiesced to his so-called wisdom in that. Well, in 2017, I put my foot down. I'm like, we're hiring, we're hiring a coach, damn it. Like, we're doing this. It's time. And I did. And he and, and against his will. Now, once we started going through that process, he was very happy we did it because then he started seeing the benefit. And I think that's the story for most people. If the people are listening to this right now and you're stubborn and you're cheap and you don't want to hire a business coach, like you hire one and you go, oh, this is what this, this is what everybody's been talking about. It's an accelerator pedal, man. Like if you 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 can probably get where you want to go, it might take you 30 years. You hire a coach, you can reduce that to two or three. I mean, it's that big of a difference. It's an accelerator pedal. Um, So anyway, we hired the coach and it was that coach who was the first guy to point out to me that I was trapped. He didn't say it and he didn't use those words, but he revealed it in the conversations and the questions Mm -hmm. he asked. And I looked around like, holy crap, I am trapped and not not I was trapped in a prison of my own making. It was very beautiful, had lots of money and lots of benefits, but it was a prison nonetheless. Mm. It's uh, I I love that you brought up Napoleon Hill outwitting the devil. I read that. That was one of my first ones that I read, and because it was one of my first ones, I actually I I cannot remember a lot about it, but I do re- I do remember one part where he talks about. I think he was like driving up to his house and it was like something about um, the feeling of failure, I think, was in there. I feel like I, f- I remember that. But but Bob Proctor, that's another one that really resonates with me. I, I watched his seminars. I, I love his voice. I love his yeah. voice and his, his demeanor. And I mean, he's... For those who don't know, Bob Proctor is like from what the from the sixties or seventies, and he wears yeah. this like clean suit, man. It's it's a clean. He's just like the epitome of neat. Like it's just beautiful, and I love his teachings and his work. Um, I love that you brought him up, but and the other thing you touch on here is is the the value of a business coach and and what they bring to the table. So I have one. Um, merits merits really helped me tremendously, but there's all sorts of different business coaches, and 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 I'd like to get into that with you a little bit. Um, so like Merit, for instance, as a business coach for me, um, and actually she wouldn't call herself a business coach; she would call herself more of an energy leadership coach in drawing out the best energy out of me and out of her clients. In that she she really looks for um, what are the you know what are the diamonds that you have inside of you and how do we shine them off, right? I mean, she doesn't say that. I'm kind of like just making. Long story short, there. Um, but it sounds like with with what you were talking about is more of a business coach who really focuses on the business and looks at what's going on in there. And I like the word that you, the word that you use here in terms of revealed that you were trapped. So as you're you're working with this coach and he reveals this that you're trapped in the business, what now starts unraveling for you to be able to remove yourself? How how does how does this start working? Because you know, you're the guy, you're the people that everyone trusts. You're the one that, that clients trust. I mean, I experienced this in my business. You know, someone calls, they, they want to speak with me. I'm, I'm the person who wrote the policy. I'm the person that they spoke with for the most part. How do we pass the baton on to the others and, 
and be able to start stepping back a little bit? Well, as as Napoleon Hill taught, and uh, Bob Proctor carries that or carried that message. He sadly passed away, but um, you know, as, as they teach, you know, what we think about, we bring about. And anything the mind can think and achieve, and can think and conceive, it can achieve. And so, your mindset leads to your reality. That's the whole. That's the punchline. Your, the reality we live today is based directly upon the way we think. So, if you want a different reality, you got to think different. And you got to have different beliefs. And so most entrepreneurs like me believe that entrepreneurship and business ownership is about running a business. Mm. And I now believe that that's not true, that business ownership is about the business providing a lifestyle that you want to live, not running a business. Mm. And so many, many entrepreneurs and business owners are actually job owners and they don't admit it. And that's what I didn't admit. And on frankly, I, it wasn't that I, um, it wasn't that I attempted to be a job owner, and it wasn't that I knew better and just chose the worst, uh, the worst option. I, that was just what I thought I was supposed to do. It was ignorance, and and many entrepreneurs are in that level of ignorance, and they don't know. Now, what makes that type of ignorance even more dangerous is that that ignorance typically comes with a pretty good payday. Like you making good money. I mean, if you're doing, you know, a few million dollars a year in revenue, you should be pulling home a significant portion of that if you're doing it right. And so you think because of the outcome financially that what you are doing is correct when in fact it's wrong. And and so I actually shot a video of, about this concept yesterday uh, on, for my YouTube channel about how that most entrepreneurs think that if they just put more time into the business, it makes the business more valuable when in fact that is the exact opposite. The less time you put into your business physically, the more valuable your business is going to become. Now, I know that today, but back then I didn't know that. And so when my coach BJ revealed to me that I was trapped, my first inclination was let's sell the company. It's, you know, we're doing millions of dollars in revenue. We have a million dollar, you know, seven figure bottom line, like let's sell the business. And he's like, it's not worth anything. And I said, come again. He goes, it's not worth anything. He said, listen, you are the business. Hmm. They're going to want to buy you and you're wanting out and they're not going to let you out. You're going to have to do an earn out at best, or you're going to be permanently attached to the business because you're the one making it happen. And that was like crushing. Um, that was when I was like, I can't, this is bad. What have I done? And I did, I did it out of ignorance. I didn't do it willfully. I didn't do it. I, I didn't try to make that happen, but but what I realized is I had endangered the the livelihoods of not just myself. I had endangered the livelihoods of all my employees, because if I got hit by a bus, that that company's shutting down. Hmm. And that's not an arrogant statement like it only happened because of me. But the reality is I was the driver. I was the force behind it. Now, did I have great team members who made things happen, pulled off amazing things and did the details? Yeah. But without the without the visionary at the top making it happen, I was the force making it happen. The business wouldn't have survived. I have now interviewed on my podcast a guy, uh, Dr. Sasha Becker, who did a study, a 15-year study in Norway on what happens to businesses after the founder dies. It's very fascinating. And I had him on the show just to talk about it. And there's a 60 plus percent permanent reduction in profit or in, in revenue if the company stays open, which most don't, and a 30 plus percent permanent reduction in profit hmm. when the founder dies. And that doesn't matter if you knew they were going to die or it was an accident. Like that's bad. 
So when I realized all that and I couldn't sell because the business wasn't worth anything without me, I, that's when I pivoted and said, okay, is there a way I can exit without selling it? Is there a way I can get out of daily operations? Now I call this exit without exiting, which is ah. the title of my book, Exit Without Exiting. Yeah. But I but I I didn't know that's what it's called. And I didn't know what I was doing, but it took me about 18 to 24 months to work through what I would need to do to get out of the daily operations. And uh, I pulled it off. I pulled it. I took it took until 2020. Um, and then 2020, of course, slowed everything down because of COVID crap. But uh, but but eventually I was able to step away from daily operations completely. What was the first thing that you did to step away? First thing you got to do is you got to embrace delegation. And so many people think they know what it is and they don't. I thought I knew what it was. But a lot of entrepreneurs practice confiscation. <laughs> you know, they'll they think it's delegation. But they 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 assign a topic and then are not a task rather, and then when that they're not doing it right, so just give it to me, I'll do it. Like that's confiscation. You that's not I, delegation. That just triggered for me. Uh, that was your TED talk. You talked about that in your TED talk. So I, yeah. I, I also have to let our audience know. I mean, you're a TEDx speaker, which was really cool. You have you have a really cool. Um, I don't know if it's called a sizzle reel because there's so much material in there. I, I don't know if I'd call it a sizzle reel, but a real highlight reel, I guess. And that led me to your TEDx talk, and I, I watched that, and it was it was really really informative. But you talked about that in your TEDx talk about this delegation versus um, uh, what what you just said confiscation. Confiscation. Uh, can, can you dig a little deeper there? Because that was really cool when you talked about it in the TEDx talk. Well, there's so if you if you think about delegation as a pendulum, you know, in the middle is the right way to delegate, and that's when you assign and trust and empower a task to some. You know, that that that, that there's those three things. Most people think it just means assigning, but it's assigning, it's empowering, and entrusting that task to someone. Um, but the pendulum swings out to one side and we confiscate and we, and we we assign a task, but then we pull it back. The other way that the pendulum swings is called abdication. And this is the sin that I, cr- I commit more than anything else. It's abdication is that I trust my people way too much and I, I, I give a task and then I never check back. I never go back to see if they did it right, never mm-hmm. see if it was done correctly, and I abdicate. And that's that's equally as dangerous as confiscation. But delegation is the first step to exiting a business. And your business will be worth, you know, 30 to 50% more when you follow this plan that I teach, because getting yourself out of the business is the number one thing you can do to increase the value of your business. You don't have to increase revenue. You don't have to increase profit. You don't have to increase market share. You don't have to increase anything. If you just get yourself out of the daily operations, your business value goes up 30 to 50%. Mm, that's incredible. But yeah, it, for, for all of our listeners, go check out um, uh, his TED, TEDx talk on this. It was it was really, really cool. And of course, your website, because your website has a ton of valuable content. Um, so you were able, so now I really understand your idea of exit without exiting. So so is the company, do you still own the company then? I do. Wow. Okay. So you still own a company. And, and so that's really what exiting without exiting is, is, is you are removing yourself from the business, um, but you're still there. It's still your company, which yeah. is- yeah. So, so that, so there's just some people that, that I talk to, they're like, well, I don't want to exit. I'm pretty happy with my business. And I hear that so much. And, and here's the thing. I, I you, some people like me are going to want to exit completely like daily operations and go do something else. Like mm-hmm. I started six other companies. Um, I'm buying another company right now. Like I, I want to go do other things. That's me. But 
a lot of people who say, well, I love my company. I don't want to leave the company. I'm really, well, here, here's, hear me out. If we can figure out together, you and me, maybe you join my mastermind, maybe you read the book, maybe you go through one of my courses, maybe you hire me as a coach. But if we can figure out together how to get you out of the weeds of daily operation, what would you do with the extra time? If you had 50% of your week back, what would you do with it? Now, if you're not the guy that would go start another company or go travel or go do whatever, what are you going to do with 50% extra time? You would probably create a new division, increase the value of the company by building another asset. You'd come up with a new intellectual property that you'd build. Your company is going to become more valuable. It all starts with getting out of the weeds. You've got to get out of the weeds. You're not doing anybody any favors by staying in the weeds of daily operations. Mm. You're not helping the company grow. You're not fulfilling your own life's purpose. And you're actually, you're actually putting your employees at danger. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's another thing is you're, you know, we talk about impacting lives and really what you're looking to do is impact the lives of, of many when you're doing something like this is you, you, you've brought up your employees multiple times. Um, so you mentioned that you, you also have, started six other companies and uh, looking at purchasing another, which reminds me of the conversation that I've had with other, another podcast guest about multi-passionate individuals and people um, maybe perceiving that you are shifting into these other, that you don't care much about one business more than the other or whatever it is, which, which you and I both know is not the, the case. Uh, I, I would, I'm interested in how you would dispel the notion uh, with, when somebody approaches you and goes, well, what, you own that business and you own this business. I mean, which one do you care about? It's like, it's like picking a kid, right? <laughs> it's like, which one do you care about more? I love them all. Um, but I'm interested in your, your way of uh, helping people understand that about being a multi-passionate individual. Well, I think, Passion doesn't mean what most people think it means. Um, most people think mean that passion means just liking something. Like you really, really, really like something. Passionate about pizza or chocolate or or passionate about surfing, you know, whatever. Like you could be but but passion, the actual root word of passion comes from the Latin word mean that means willing to suffer. Hmm. That's what passion means. And so passion, if you think about the passion of the Christ, for example, you know, that that wasn't called the passion of the Christ because he was excited to go to the cross. He really liked <laughs> it. He did it because there was a willingness to suffer, a willingness to endure for the cause. So truly mm. passionate people who are following their passions are willing to suffer for the thing that they're doing, not that they just really like it. And, and a good example of this is this. So it's like, let's say you're passionate. You think you're passionate about caring for uh, dogs and you want to rescue dogs, okay? Well, what do dogs do? Dogs bite. So if you're passionate, you think you're passionate, you love dogs, you love petting animals, you love all that stuff, and but you only really like the ones that are nice, then and the dog bites you, and you're like, I'm out. I can't do this. I can't. I can't suffer. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna get stitches every day because these dogs I'm trying to help are biting me. Okay, then you're not truly passionate about it because if you were, you would suffer through the bites, through the scratches, through the torn clothes to, 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 to pursue the thing that you say you're passionate about. Take, pull that back to your business and insurance, my business as a coach or owning a lighting company or a real estate investing company. If I'm not willing to suffer for that thing, I'm not truly passionate about it. So when people say on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube shorts, and they say, just find something you're passionate about and follow it. That's terrible advice because they, because everybody hears, just find something you like. I love cars. I love motorcycles. But am I am I willing to suffer to be in business in that? 
Probably not. Right. So I got to find the thing that I'm truly passionate about. And and you can have multiple passions. It's not likely you're going to have more than one or more than two true passions um, in business. So for me, I've got seven companies now. I'm trying to cull it down under under certain trusts and you know holding companies so that it's easier to manage. I met with my CPA yesterday. He's like, man, we got to figure out this out. It's too much. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, but but I, this other business I'm looking at buying, you know, is not a thing I'm passionate about in terms of liking it, but would I be passionate about running this company to create an extra few million dollars in revenue and maybe another million dollars of bottom line? Yeah. I'm willing to suffer for that a little bit if I need to. Mm-hmm. So you could find the passion in, in other places. I, I really thank you for, for describing and sharing with us the, what passion means. I, I really like that. It's, it's willing to suffer. Um, and that, that says a lot because I mean, are you willing to suffer for that extra million? It sounds like you are. And, and I mean, many of us would be if, if, if given the opportunity. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the book, about the courses that you do. Um, again, I'm very interested in these because um, you're, this is like centered around what you do. This is your business now. Like, I mean, you have all these other businesses that are operating on their own. And to the point where I just want our audience to know that uh, we're recording this session right now on a Friday. That's when I, I record all of my podcasts on Fridays. And <laughs> And and Jason reached out to me and said, "Hey man, um, you know I'm excited to be on the podcast, but I'll let you know ahead of time that I might not be able to commit to it because I don't work on Fridays." And I'm like, "I'm looking at his his website. I'm looking at your website, man." And I'm like, "He doesn't work on Fridays." So um, for all of those out there who are wondering, you know, what's the reality of this of buying more time? It's like. Look, this guy, he doesn't work on Fridays. He, he doesn't do stuff like this on Fridays. And it's because you, you've actually enacted all of the work that you teach, which I really love. So I, I am very interested in this work and in, in the book and the masterminds and, and um, how you put this together and, and what, you know, what people can draw from it. Well, the uh, yeah, the, thank you for mentioning that. This is true. One of my goals in 22, I said, hey, and when I'm moving to 23, I'm going to go to a four-day work week. And I've been wanting to do that for a long time. And that's really a misnomer because if, you know, if you're doing it right as an entrepreneur or any business, you should be spending less than 20 hours worth of week, uh, worth of time per week running that business uh, to stay within the law of the architect, which I can explain later. But, but uh, this business, my coaching business, is my passion, my true passion, the thing that I'll do until Jesus returns or until I kick the bucket. Like I'm, I'm good. This is what I do, but I wanted this. I wanted this. I don't want to work on Fridays, man. I want to, I want to be off. So today is the first Friday of 2023 that I'm working because you only record on Fridays and I wanted to be on your show. (laughs) Wow. What a compliment. I I love it. Well, I was telling you, I was telling you uh, earlier before we went live, it's like, I just, I ended up stacking the day because I'm like, I got to do it anyway. So I might as well. So I got another call after this and I got another call after that. And, and uh, so I've kind of stacked my Friday and I've got, I've got, I'm behind on a few things I got to get caught up on, but you, you asked the uh, question about the book. So I'm going to do a quick shameless plug for the book. Yeah, I love it. So, so the book here is called exit without exiting, how to exit your business without selling it and begin living the exit lifestyle sooner than you ever thought possible. And, um, the book took me a year to write, mm. but it is based exactly on my experience of what I've done. But it's not just my story. Obviously, I pull my story into it and talk a little bit about my experience. But I, but when I started writing the book, I hired a company to help me figure this out and how to write the book. And we put together this robust outline. 
And uh, and it was going to be just teaching concepts. I was just going to teach the things I teach my clients as a coach. Well, I got about six months into writing that version of it, and I thought I wouldn't read this book. I mean, I I like it because it's my stuff, but I wouldn't read it. So I spent six more months reconfiguring the book into a narrative format. So I turned it into stories. I took out, I took and created these characters based on clients and based on my own experience. And I created a character named Edward. And his, his story is the first chapter is here's Edward's story of creating a business that revolved around himself. And when he was ready to exit, he couldn't. And he had to figure out what to do next. And then I created a story, a character named Cheryl. And I talk about her her story of being a stay-at-home mom who ran into one of her her daughter's friend's mom, pulls up at a, at a, at a birthday party in a brand new Range Rover. And she's like, I'm pretty sure they couldn't afford a Range Rover. What's going on? And she didn't know the girl lady very well, but then discovers that they were business owners and had a had a business and they were doing well enough that she could drive a Range Rover. And so it sparked in her mind that let me go start a business. She started a business and turned it into gold. And so she was able to exit her business with that FU money. The, 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 the everybody that thinks when we start businesses, that's what we're going to get. And only 2% of the world ever gets there. And and that's her story. But but there's some regret in her story. And you'll have to read the book to find out what that regret is. And then the third character I tell is the story of James. And he's the prototype. He's the one that like, okay, James is the guy who followed the right rules. He he embraced delegation. He eliminated stress from his life and from his business. He he established the right systems and processes. He he invested in his people correctly. And within five years of starting his business, he was able to walk away from daily operations, go start another business and had full income from his old business and was able to start his new business. So the the book really kind of incorporates all three of those stories to tell you this is how it works. And it builds on those four core principles that I was just mentioning. And the book reveals everything. I, I don't leave anything out. Um, and that's that's what the book is. And it just came out this month and it is now a number one international best-selling book. I'm very proud of what my team was able to accomplish with the, the book launch. And um, everybody needs to go pick it up. You can go to therealjasonduncan.com slash book, therealjasonduncan.com slash book. Did you did you record an audio for it yet? Not yet. I, the weird thing about doing these books is that you it, every ISBN, which is the way the serial numbers of the book, competes with every other serial number of that same book uh, for bestseller status. So when you launch, if you're really wanting to be a bestseller, you can't launch multiple copies or multiple versions. So... I did launch the Kindle version and the uh, the hard, you know, the this is a soft you know, paperback, but I launched these at the same time and still was number one. Uh, but the audio audible, the audio, audio version of that won't come out until probably six months from now. Because they compete with that's interesting. I didn't know that, that they compete with yeah, each other. Every, listen, a hardback competes with a softback. It, like wow. you, you don't get credit and the bestseller status uh, on different versions of the same book. It's dumb, but that's the way they do it. That's very interesting. Um, tell us a little bit more about the four concepts. Are, are you able to share the four concepts with us? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, We already talked about the first one. The first core principle is embracing delegation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and without that, none, none of the others work. Um, you know, I don't I don't know your business coach, although you said that Merritt, she, she refers to herself as an energy coach and life mm-hmm. coach. But most business coaches they'll start out of the gate systems and processes, systems and processes, systems and processes. And that is an important piece. But if you don't embrace delegation, then you're just going to have processes that still rely on you. Mm-hmm. So, so the first thing is you got to, you got to embrace delegation. The second is uh, the second core principle is eliminate stress, eliminate stress. If you, again, 
established systems and processes, but you haven't figured out how to manage and eliminate stress, you will have stressed systems Mm. that are all acting at the urgent rather than what is important. So the reason I put that in there is that I went through this process of understanding why why do I feel stress as the CEO? Why does my VP of finance feel stress? Why does my VP of sales feel stress? And when they're stressed, it filters into the business and that energy, you know, for us Napoleon Hill and Bob Proctor fans, that energy, that vibration comes across in every conversation. So we have to eliminate that stress. So that's the second core principle. And then the third is the systems and process. Now it's time to talk about that. And frankly, I pay more attention to the sales process than just about anything else because that is the way you get revenue. So you got to have a tight sales process. And and I've been very successful and sold millions and millions of dollars worth of products and services over my you know 20 plus years in sales. And I know how to sell. Uh, it is not the thing I'm passionate about, <laughs> but I know how to do it. And so I spent a lot of time with my clients and I talk about in the book, kind of a three-part sales system that if you implement could increase your sales by as much as 50%. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth core principle is the principle called invest in people. People are your most important asset. They're the things that are going to keep your business going when you step away from daily operations, either to continue building other divisions of that company or to go start another one. And investing in people is not just finances. It's not just about coming up with great comp plans. It's about furnishing them with power and authority and rank mm. to perform tasks on your behalf. Mm, thank you very much for those. Those are those are incredible. I mean, and you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly all all of them we've heard before, but I like how you put them in an order and how they each complement each other as they, they kind of climb the, the ladder there to up to delegation, which is really cool. Another thing that I like, um, you know, it's funny, it's a shameless plug for the book, but I mean, hey, look, you're, you're on here because you're doing things, man. You're, you're building and creating things. And, and like I always say on these podcasts, I mean, the reason why I, I love having guests like you on and, and, and past guests and, and future guests is I, I'm learning. Look, I, I'm learning about, you know, I want to have a book out. So I want to hear about how you, you wrote a book, right? And I, and I love this idea that you, that you came up with of, of the storytelling. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's not new, um, but you were like, hey, look, I'm, I wouldn't read this book. So I'm going to embrace storytelling more than just putting out a bunch of concepts. Um, have you read The Go-Giver? Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I can see it right here on my shelf in front of me. And yeah. And, and your book reminds me of The Go-Giver because that's what they did was they're teaching these different concepts of giving and sharing time and the mentor and everything all through this. This um, It's a true story, but using it's true. It's based on true stories. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. And using characters, which I thought was really cool. So I'm, I'm actually I would like to uh, read your book. I'd like to, to learn these concepts through the story because I remember um, I think it was um, help me remember his name. Peter, um, the like the, the father of business books. Peter something. Peter Drucker. Drucker. Peter Drucker. Thank you. Yeah. I remember trying to read one of his books and it's like straight up concept. It's like concept, concept, concept. And I was like, I had to return it. I was like, I can't, I can't get through this. This is, this is torturing me. Yeah. So it's not for everyone. So I, I like that you adjusted it to, um, to a storytelling. Tell us about masterminds. Like the first time I heard about masterminds was through Napoleon Hill and, mm-hmm. and him talking about the mastermind and Henry Ford and all these, these amazing entrepreneurs. And now we hear about so many masterminds and uh, I've, I've 
I'm putting air quotes up for our listeners here. I've started one for Denten. Um, I'm calling it our community mastermind, where I'm bringing our clients and future clients, which which are essentially prospects, but I like to call them future clients. Our, our clients, future clients, our fans, our customers, whoever you are. I'm trying to bring them all together to try to share with them and into this this virtual community together. So I'm calling it a community mastermind, and the idea is that we all share something in common. We're all either want more knowledge on our insurance policies or want to learn how to protect ourselves or not get in, you know, not make a claim any worse than what it already is, um, but also just come together and, and support each other and network in a way. So that's kind of like the mastermind that I'm creating there. I'm interested in your idea of, uh, or excuse me, what you've created in terms of your mastermind and how that works. Well, Napoleon Hill what is the is the originator of the concept of a mastermind, or at least he coined the phrase the mastermind. Mm-hmm. And his definition of a mastermind is a group of people, minimum of two, uh, that are working together to achieve a definite purpose. Mm-hmm. And so that is what a mastermind is. So most masterminds that are called masterminds aren't. They're usually communities or conferences or groups, but they're not masterminds because a mastermind, according to the real definition of the guy who coined the phrase, is it's we're working together, putting our minds together in an effort and concert to help someone achieve their definite purpose. Mm. And so that's where the hot seat idea, he, he didn't talk about the hot seat in his books, but the hot seat idea of, let's say we're, we're in a mastermind together. Okay. Today, our minds are all going to be focused on Michael Esposito's deal. Like, what is it? What do you need help with? What's your definite purpose that you're trying to accomplish? We're all going to pour all of our energy, resources, intellect into this. That's what a mastermind is supposed to be. And so what I did is I took that concept and I said, I want to create a mastermind that is our definite purpose is how do we exit our business? How do we exit without exiting specifically? Or how do we exit totally? Like, how do you, how do you exit a business? How do you reclaim your life and live the exit lifestyle? And so I started the mastermind. We we launched it in 2021, um, and it's called the Exeter Club. Uh, Exeter, just like exit, we er on the end of it. And it's it's guys that are all running various stages of their companies. Some are you know more early stage, two two to five years in, that are doing you know couple you know maybe maybe a few hundred thousand up to a couple million. And then I've got guys on the other end that are doing, you know, six and, uh, or excuse me, are doing a, a seven and, and eight figures in their business every year. And we're working together to help each other accomplish the exit. Mm-hmm. Again, everybody's exit looks different. I've got one of my clients, uh, ironically, he's in the insurance business, just sold his company for a lot of money. And his, like his whole thing is, what do I do now? Like what, what now, how do I figure it? Like, what's the next big thing? So we're all masterminding together to help them figure that out. The experience that I provide for my members is we do, you know, we do a couple of meetings per month by zoom because everybody's all over the country. And then we do uh four quarterly happy hours by zoom, which is kind of fun. We get on and we smoke cigars and, you know, drink bourbon or whatever, and just hang out and talk on zoom, no agenda, just, and it's a great time to bring guests who might be interested uh, but then we also do six live events per year. And we've got one that actually is today and tomorrow here in Nashville. Tonight, we've got dinner at a very nice restaurant, people coming in from all over the country. And then tomorrow, we've got a guest speaker in the morning. Then I'll be speaking for a couple couple hours. And then we do the rest of the afternoon is just masterminding. We do the mastermind hot seat uh, together. And we do that. We call these our weekend workshops. We do those four times a year. But the But the pinnacle is our retreats. We do two luxury retreats every year. 
one in one in May and one in October. And uh, by the way, spouses are invited to the workshop. Spouses are invited to the retreats. It's it's included. There's no extra fee for these retreats. And uh, and we go somewhere luxurious. Like right now, uh, it's not official as of this moment, but nobody nobody's going to see this until after they won't. Nobody imagine is going to see this. But right now, as of right now, our you know we have our thumb at a uh, at a resort in uh, Isla Morada in the Keys, where our May retreat is going to be. And it's going to be just unbelievable. You know, it's all inclusive. Everything we can do is private, everything. And it's going to be phenomenal. We do that twice a year to give a taste of what the exit lifestyle really is going to look like when we finally get to that place. We don't have to work. Money's working for us rather than us working for money. So that's the experience of the Exeter Club. Mm, I, very well said. And I, and I really love the, the, how you put a finer point on, on a mastermind of working towards a definite purpose. And uh, I think that that's why when I had come up with the name of mine with, and calling it Community Mastermind, is that that's probably our definite purpose. That is our definite purpose of why I've created it, is that I'm trying to form a community because we are a virtual agency. So it, that's really more of the definite purpose, if I'm, if I'm kind of like searching here. But that's probably why uh, mentally I had put community first and I didn't just call it mastermind or whatever. I, I put community first now that I think back on it. So I really like that you put that finer point on it. And I love the idea of the hot seat uh, because, again, I've, I've attended masterminds. I've been part of them. And what you find is it turns out to be almost a networking forum. It's, it's, it's truly misnamed in that it's people just trying to get their business card out in front of everyone. Um, so what I really like about yours is you, you have this hot seat where you're getting everybody to focus their attention and work on it. And then the other part is it sounds like you have these really well-experienced and well-rounded individuals there that have either experienced or are experiencing what that person in the hot seat is doing. So um, it, it, that's really, really cool. And, and finally, um, I'm just interested in this. You, you emphasize the word luxurious. And uh, there's, there's definitely a subconscious reason that that's important. And I, and I would love for you to just kind of like unveil that for our audience of the importance of treating ourselves to luxurious things. Well, I mean, again, I think every, every entrepreneur has the desire and this idea that one day they're going to sell their business for that big, big check. And they're going to walk away financially independent, never have to work again the day of their life. And only 2% of entrepreneurs ever experience that. Only two. So all the Instagram gurus are lying. They're telling you, yeah, they're sitting on their Lambos or riding in their yachts. That that lifestyle is not a reality. It is for some in the same way that becoming an NBA star is a reality for some people, but it ain't for most. You're not going to make it in the NFL. Like any anybody we're feeding these kids, these ideas, these kids thinking, oh, you, you could be the next next uh, Tom Brady. Okay, maybe, maybe one person in two billion is going to be the next Tom Brady. But why would we tell our kids that they could be that? It's like, listen, you, you can do anything you want. You just might not be very good at it. How about that? <laughs> so as an entrepreneur, we need to be realistic too, is to say, listen, it's not likely you're going to sell, sell your business for a walk away money 100% like Cheryl does in the business. It's not likely that's going to happen. So is there a way to experience a piece of that luxury that you thought you were going to get now? Yes, there is. And that's what I teach on exit without exiting. That's why the Exeter Club exists is I want to give my guys this experience. Like that's why we do luxury retreats. We go rent yachts. We go get private chefs to come in. We go do that stuff because we want to experience it and realize, you know what? 
I don't have to sell my company for nine figures to make this happen. I can join this mastermind and figure out how to save my time, spend a little money on this mastermind experience, and I get a piece of it, a taste of it. I've got one of my members, he's like, the exit lifestyle for him is just being able to take a vacation with his family without his customers all melt brain melting because right. he's not available. Right. He's like, that's just what I, that's all I want. Right. Okay. We're working on it. That's cool. Plus it's genius. You get a group rate instead of having to buy it by yourself. <laughs> that is, that is correct. You know, fractional, fractional, fractional ownership, not even ownership. We're just renting it for the day. Let somebody else handle the maintenance and the depreciation. That's, that's awesome. So you, you have a bunch of other things that you do, a master series, a course, um, you have a webinar that you do, uh, anything in any of those, uh, areas that you want to touch on, um, as we start, um, winding down here. Well, I would invite everybody listening to go pick up the book, of course, and it, you can get that, like I said, at therealjasonduncan.com slash book. It's a, it's only 16 bucks. I mean, it's not it's not an expensive investment for you to figure that out. My my mastermind, obviously, there's you can apply to be a part of that if you think that that's something you're interested in. Michael, maybe we ought to talk about you coming in and being a part of the Exeter <laughs> Club. But, but, but for free, like just for a free value, I'm going to say I do a, a biweekly um, a biweekly live webinar series called the Entrepreneur Masters Series, EMS. And I, I, it live streams on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, it also is on Zoom. And we, I, what I do is I bring in a guest expert on some topic, some something related to something that in, entrepreneurs would be interested in. And we do 90 minutes of really tactical information. Where this is a show, a podcast show, where you're interviewing me, we're telling stories, it's conversation. The, the EMS webinars are tactical. It's like, how do you do this thing? And it's free. You can come to it for free. You register once and you get access to all of them. Uh, I send the replays out to the registrants after the, after the fact. So, for example, um, this, this week we had a guy on named Austin Zeeland who has developed an eight-figure passive income stream. And so what he does now is he works with people on how to create a, a blueprint to make a hundred grand passively every year. And so we were just going tactically. How do you do it? What's one step, one step, two, step three. Uh, the guy that's coming on my next one, he's coming up uh, to do five tips on how to get a standing ovation at your TED talk. And then of course, by the way, if you don't have a TED talk, we'll show you how to get on the stage. So th these are all things. We did one on the five top tax strategies to pay less tax. We did one on bookkeeping strategies. We did one on personal branding. So it's a free ad, you know, anybody can go to it. It's a free ad value ad for, for anybody in my community. Anybody that follows me on social media, you can go. It's free. Just go register. It's the real slash EMS. It's free registration. You can attend. I do them almost every two weeks. I only did one in the month of March because I'm traveling, but, uh, but almost every two weeks I, I host one of those and they're, they're phenomenal. And by the way, just a little plug for the Exeter club. If you're part of the Exeter club, you get free one-on-ones, non-sales one-on-ones, because I know every person who do, does these would give a sales one-on-one to anybody, but you get a free one-on-one -on -one coaching session with every expert I bring in. So you get an additional 24 coaching sessions every year with experts and topics that you're interested in. So it's a big, big plus of being a part of the Exeter Club. Mm, that's really cool. And uh, Austin Zeeland actually was on the podcast he, uh, a, a quick, quick brief story on him was I was supposed to, I, I, I was assuming 
big mistake here. I had this whole <laughs> Zoom set up. Like I have a big setup in front of me here, camera, lights, and my laptop's up and everything. I have the whole thing set up and uh, I'm, I'm waiting for him to come on the Zoom. And, you know, I'm looking at my phone. I'm scrolling through his social media. I'm like, all right, this guy's verified. So he's probably... It's probably too good to show up on time or whatever. And a couple, you know, five minutes go by, five, five after 11 goes by. And I'm like, right, he's not showing. And I get a knock on the door here at the studio and they go, your guest is here. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, this guy, who? And they're like, yeah, you have a guest here. I'm like, it can't be him. He's in Seattle. I'm in New York. I'm like, it can't be him. So I'm walk, <laughs> I walk out and I, and it's him. And I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, and he said, well, I saw an address. And so I decided to come instead of do a Zoom. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. <laughs> oh, man. It was well, awesome. That, you know what? I had the, you know, your, your reminder that came to me yesterday said location and it had your address. And for a split second, I thought, does this guy really think I'm coming to New York? Because I'm not going to New York tomorrow. And then I thought, <laughs> I think he probably filled that in, not knowing that we were going to see that it says location. So yeah, you might want to fix that because somebody else might just fly in and show up. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want actually. I, I I actually don't fix that anymore because of Austin. Um, so what I what I originally do is I send out the invite because uh, for the majority I, I get in person guests. So I send out the invite. It goes that way. And then when I see where the person is, and I'll send a. I'll, I used to resend a new invite with the Zoom link in the locations uh, portion. Uh, okay. Austin got the original with the address and then I resent it with the zoom. So he actually got a second invite with the zoom. He went with the location first. And after he did that, I was just like, well, this was like a pleasant surprise. So I'm going to leave it that way. Like I would have, you know, if, if <laughs> I was, I actually was thinking about that with you after seeing, you know, a lot about you. I was just like, you know, he might just, <laughs> JD just might fly in and, and come hang out in New York with me. Um, but anyway, it, I, I've had a few guests fly in. It's, it's really cool. Um, but uh, th this is, this is also a wonderful experience. But anyway, that was on, on Austin. Quick story right there. Um, you're, you're doing a lot of, a, a lot of work. Um, one, one thing that I see here that, uh, always is, is important to me to share with our audience and, and to talk about is about impacting the lives of others. And, and for you, um, you know, you've done, uh, philanthropic work. Um, you have a mission that you said your vision is to see a hundred thousand entrepreneurs set free from the ironic prison of entrepreneurship. And so we, you just spoke about some of the ways and techniques that you do this, um, but you're obviously a very passionate person about helping others. And I know we use the word passion, but you are, man. I mean, that you said it's your passion to teach, to coach, um, and to, to help others. So could you share um, as we as we wrap this up how you're doing that in your community today, um, outside of obviously the mastermind and all the other stuff, but just from the philanthropic side? Well, everything that I, I I do, I try to be congruous, you know, where everything's kind of matching. So one of the things that my wife and I've wanted to do for a long time is we wanted to start a nonprofit. Um, the problem with starting a nonprofit is that you've got to have a lot of time to dedicate to that process because it's a it's a difficult process. It's 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 like starting a business, but there there's there's these other levels to it because there's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of cash to go around. There's, ca there's zero cash flow. And uh, so so up to this point, we have not had the time uh, or, frankly, the money that we wanted to set aside to do that. But here's what's cool is that 
my mastermind, the Exeter Club, I am, my goal now is kind of, I've, I've pivoted this to, to fit, to be congruent with everything else I'm doing. So my mission, my vision, as you said, my vision is to see 100,000 entrepreneurs set free from the ironic prison of entrepreneurship. And I'm doing that through my book and through my podcast and through my speaking engagements and et cetera, and coaching. But what I'm going to do is with the Exeter Club, as I'm my my secondary vision on that is I want to see ten thousand people set free from the from not from the ironic prison entrepreneurship. That's what we're doing with the entrepreneurs. But I want to see ten thousand people set free from poverty and mediocrity through entrepreneurship. Mm. So, for example, there are guys out there that are just like every like seventy percent of the American public living paycheck to paycheck. They they're they're barely surviving, but they have an idea. They want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't know. They don't have mentors. They don't have guidance. They don't have coaches. My mastermind can be that. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to start this 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 nonprofit and we're going to go one at a time. We're going to go find one guy, find Joe and say, hey, Joe, man, what do you what do you need? I want to I'm a good mechanic, man. I'd like to have my own shop. OK, for one year, if you will commit one year to us, you quit your job. We'll help pay your bills. We'll do everything you need for one year. You can meet with this guy. He'll tell you about marketing. This guy will help you with a lease. This guy's going to be business strategy. This guy's going to be taxes. Like we are the ones that are going to get this guy out of poverty now, and and not true poverty in terms of like he's only making 18 grand a year, but poverty mentality. Like there's mm-hmm. no way out. Like Get him out of poverty and mediocrity so that he can begin living the life that he wants. And that vehicle of entrepreneurship is the key out. And that's what I'm going to leverage the Exeter Club to do. Mm. I, you know, it, it, so many totally understand the non-for-profit thing. We we have a non-for-profit in our family. I've had people who have non-for-profits on the show, and there there's a huge struggle there, and and there's a huge, um, I think, misinterpretation of what a non-for-profit should be too. Of like, you know, somebody who's who's dedicating their life to help others as a mission, they should also be allowed to have some luxurious things. But for some reason, our society doesn't necessarily embrace that. They, they feel that, you know, they should be making minimum wage. And so it's really hard to start a non-for-profit and to, to put money towards a non-for-profit, but also try to live a balanced life. Um, and, and I, you know, and I hope that this doesn't land in the wrong way with anybody, but so I totally understand that. And I mean, um, what I love about what you're, what you're attempting to do or, or doing is you're giving them the tools, which which to me, that's really it, right? Like we could only throw so much money at a problem um, to donate and to build a non-for-profit. Like I said, we have one in my family and and uh, then 10 that we support non-for-profits. And again, this goes back to the conversation yesterday. It was a big meeting. And we talked about that. I said, you know, for me, my vision is to build the foundation, the Den 10 foundation, because there's only so much money we could throw, throw around. We need to create a solution we need to empower people. And I, and I love that, that that's what you're doing is that you are giving them the tools to empower themselves to get themselves out. Not to just say, here's a $10,000 check, go figure it out. It's give them the tools. I, I really love that. And I like that you're using the tools that you have to be able to support all of that. Um, as, we, as we conclude, I always like to go into the mantra, which you actually talked about early on um, in, in, our, in our show here, which is the mantra that you um, live by. And if you'd like to just share that with our audience and, and just why it's so impactful for you. Well, um, you'll have to remind me which one you're talking about. I feel like I have several things that I say on a regular and consistent basis. So I know you've got something in mind, so I would be happy to. I, I do. To talk why, why don't you just tell us the one that's top of mind for you? Because you already actually said it in, in the show just now. 
Well, I think that one of the things that I live by is what you think about, you bring about. And I think that your mindset, it leads to your reality. And so daily, um, I, I, I recite affirmations about who I am, uh, maybe not who the reality is today, but who I, I intend to be and what I want to be. And I realize that that the thoughts that I hold consistently in my mind will eventually seek expressions through some physical reality and will be transmuted into actual reality. And I, and so what you think about, you bring about. And I, and the other thing I say is that, you know, I want, I want people to treat people, you know, just treat other people the way you want to be treated. And if we did that, like this world would be a much better place. A golden rule. I love that. And and I love that you brought up Bob Proctor and vibration because I could see him saying it. Your vibration, the vibration. Yeah. And it's it's so true. And and uh, I speak about affirmations all the time. And um, yeah, it's, it's so important. And I, I just did in my IG live this morning talking about, you know, you, you want to create this, these positive intentions in your mind, but before you get on stage, before you go and perform, before I come on a podcast, you have to really get in your mind and give yourself the positive affirmations of like, hey, look, you know, I'm about to interview somebody who is doing things tenfold of where I am today. I need to get in the right vibration, the right mindset to get here. And it's through affirmations because, you know, we talked about it before, right? fake it till you make it, all that other stuff. It's like, I need to get my mindset on the same level as yours so that I can um, be able to ask you the best questions to be able to lead the conversation for, for where we're going. Um, I want to thank you so much for putting your trust in, in me today and sharing all of your knowledge with our community here. Uh, it's just been a tremendous podcast. There's a lot of learning that comes out of it. Uh, your website is really, really cool. Great information there. Really great videos in there. Your TED Talk is, is excellent. So um, definitely somebody to, to follow. And with that, if you could, for our audio listeners, of course, this will all be in the show notes, just share with everybody where they can find you or how they you can, can follow me. You. Well, it's been it's been great. Thank you for doing this. And you can follow me on any of the social platforms at The Real Jason Duncan. And that is also my website address, TheRealJasonDuncan.com. And uh, thanks for thanks for having me on, Michael. It's been a great conversation today. Yeah, man. It's been really, really, really cool. And uh, I hope to come down to Tennessee at some point. I'll come to your location. Come on, man. Come on. We, we can get together, smoke a cigar, have a little bourbon, do some Tennessee stuff. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you for listening to The Michael Esposito Show. For show notes, video clips, and more episodes, go to michaelespositoinc.com backslash podcast. Thank you again to our sponsor, Den 10 Insurance Services, helping businesses get the right insurance for all their insurance needs. Visit denten.io to get a quote. That's D-E-N-T-E-N dot I-O. And remember, when you buy an insurance policy from Denten, you're giving back on a global scale. This episode was produced by Uncle Mike at the iHeart Studios in Poughkeepsie. Special thanks to Lara Rodrian for the opportunity and my team at Michael Esposito, Inc. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.